Welcome to Podcasts of Wildmount. I'm Jason Burroughs, the producer at Adventure They Wrote, a noir-themed mystery podcast generally set in Waterdeep. But fans have been asking for an official collaboration between Critical Role and Wizards of the Coast for years. And we are really excited to be playing in the world of the Mighty Nine with the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. To celebrate the launch of Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, we were asked, along with a bunch of other really fantastic shows from the D&D podcast and livestream community, to come up with 10 one-shot adventures, each focusing on some of the really cool locations, class features, and history of the continent of Wildmount. Our hope is that by listening to these adventures, you'll see how much storytelling potential there is here in Wildmount. Maybe find a few new shows that you're looking forward to hearing more of. To find out more about our show, all of the other podcasts and live streams taking part in this grand adventure, and the brand new book, The Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, in game stores March 17th, head to dnd.wizards.com or check out their Twitch stream at twitch.tv dnd. I really hope you'll enjoy our adventure featuring slightly altered versions of the characters of the Waterdeep Detective Agency and our special guest star, Ginny D, as we head north to Palebank Village on the shores of the Frigid Depths. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adventure They Wrote, uh, exploring the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. If you're familiar with our podcast, you know we are a noir-themed mystery podcast, Uh, but today we're going to be mixing things up a little bit. Our characters are going to be playing slightly altered versions of their selves, Uh, and we're also joined by special guest, Ginny D. Hi, Ginny. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So if you're unfamiliar with Wildmount, Wildmount is the the homebrew setting of Critical Role. This is a setting that is birthed from the imagination of Matt Mercer and lovingly crafted over the, the seasons of Critical Role. And now Wizards of the Coast has published it as an official Dungeons and Dragons uh, setting. Uh, this is sort of the nerd equivalent of being discovered by a producer in Los Angeles <laughs> and being thrust into uh, their latest film. So this is a fantastic book. We've been through it uh, in preparation for this campaign and in developing these new characters. And uh, I mean, the world building and the the depth of the story here for for our podcast with such an emphasis on rich backstory. This is really uh, wonderful to see. So I'm really excited to put this in front of these players and uh, and see uh, how they torment me over the next couple hours. And uh, with that said, I think we should kick off with some character introductions. So Max, why don't you introduce us to Wild Mount Max? All right. Well, uh, unlike Max the Goblin Detective, uh, Max the Goblin Former Pirate is not an intelligent uh, gentleman. Um, He was part of the revelry on the Menagerie Coast until uh, he lost a fight and was thrown overboard, washed up on the beach and was uh, taken in by some druids who cured him of his curse of strife. And uh, now he is out and um, uh, trying to find wayward mercenaries who may want to turn away from a life of crime or a life of evil and try to find them jobs and, and get them back on their feet, So as, as it were. So rather than being the head of a detective agency, he's the head of a formerly evil mercenary group. That doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well. No, it doesn't. 
All right. Uh, Ledger, how about Wild Mount Ledger? Wild Mount Ledger is, um, he shares a lot in common with the Ledger that um, that some listeners know from, from Waterdeep. He presents himself to the world as a simple bookkeeper, you know, just a tradesperson that um, very clean cut, doesn't really look like someone who's an, a scrappy adventurer of, of any sort. Um, the main differences between Wildmount and Faerun Ledger is um, that this one's done a little bit of work on, on spellcasting. I was really excited about Dunamancy and showing what Ledger might do with Graviturgy. And so I picked up two levels of Wizard in addition to his normal Barbarian um, sort of play style. And um, another key thing is that Hector, uh, Ledger's Macaw, is also in this adventure, but it's a little different now. Now Hector is a a Black Raven who is a a true Wizard's familiar. Awesome. So you took a a level of Edgelord. (laughs) I wouldn't call it that. (laughs) Sam, Dunamancy, uh, Dunamancy is unique to Wildmount. Could you talk a little bit about that very briefly, what it is and, and uh, maybe how it works? So the reason that, that I picked it is that, um, that Ledger has a lot of sort of elemental forces in, in his backstory and in his character. And Dunamancy is kind of working with the seams of time and, and gravity and all of these you know, unseen forces in a similar way. So um, specifically what Ledger has is uh, a little bit of graviturgy, which is the ability to like make objects lighter or heavier or actually like use gravity to deal damage to, uh, to his foes. Excellent. Um, Talia, I know you are battling a wicked sinus infection, so uh, you get the, the best sport award. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Wild Mount Selene? Wild Mount Selene is actually named Selene Ray. Um, she is an older version of the Selene you know and love from Waterdeep. She is a bit wiser and a more serious character. Um, her goal is to really just survive and thrive. She goes by a different saying about gullibility. You'll notice that Selene in Waterdeep is fairly gullible, um, but this Selene is on the track of fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice is not very likely. She comes from Rosana, uh, like many tieflings after the Calamity, and she's from the region of Galamafri in the heart of Rosana. Uh, it's one of the most vibrant and rowdiest wards in the city, so she's she fits right in. Uh, tieflings in Wildmount are a lot more vibrant, um, so she's like a bright purple. Um, she's got really pretty lavender eyes and very dark ebony hair, um, and her horns are are black with a very pale purple tip. Um, so she's she's very uh, stark when you see her. She stands out pretty well. Um, but the the ward of the city that she comes from is a place where people seek employment and she happens to be a bounty hunter by trade so she's an expert tracker since she is a ranger Um, and she has a familiarity with the underground in Rosona Um, so she isn't afraid to get her hands dirty to get the job done Um, 
even though uh, she's a bit of uh, the opposite personality of Celine Starr, uh, she still holds her fondness for whiskey and um, a familiar pouch for less savory things that in this world is known more as a meat pouch. Yeah. Great. Super glad that's making an appearance again. <laughs> yep. I was real, real concerned when we were preparing for this that it wouldn't be a part of it. <laughs> Doran, why don't you tell us a little bit about Wild Mount Doran? Uh, yeah, so uh, Waterdeep Doran's just a regular old druid. Kind of happy-go-lucky sort of, sort of guy. Doesn't care too much about whatever's going on, just wants to help. Um, Wild Mount Doran is a deep gnome, not a regular gnome. He's from the Underdark. Uh, he was specifically trained to be a enforcer uh, in the Underdark, but their sense of justice did not match with his. He was a little bit more uh, on the level, and they're much more eviler. So he escaped. Maybe they're after him. I don't know. Uh, and he found he wanted to go to that place that has needs needs a sheriff, a new sheriff in town. So he is a level three druid, level three wizard. He doesn't have any dunamance. He's a regular wizard. He's an illusion wizard. Uh, and yeah, so he's he's the grimdark version of, of Doran. I didn't know we were all going to do that, but that's apparently what's happening. At this point, I'm I'm definitely imagining everyone with the goatees. <laughs> <laughs> Celine Ray does not have a goatee. <laughs> well, the session is young. But she could. <laughs> what about no goatee but eyeliner? <laughs> yeah, really dark mascara. Extra dark eyeliner. There we go. Everybody has a smoky eye. <laughs> Ginny, you do not have a character equivalent uh, on the Adventure They Wrote podcast, so this is brand new for you. Why don't you um, tell us about Keth? Sure. So uh, I've always wanted to play a beefy half-orc lady, so that's what I went for with this. Um, Keth is a half-orc who was born to a human father and an orc mother who are both soldiers of the Righteous Brand in Blade Garden. Um, she had two older brothers who also both went into the military, so she was basically raised in the barracks, and it was expected that she would follow that path and go into the Righteous Brand. But from a very young age, she always had a problem with authority and rules, and as a teenager, she met um, a general, a, a defector from the Korean army, who was working with the Righteous Brand, who really took a liking to her and taught her the ways of the Echo Knight, which is a another um, Dunamancy thing. <laughs> and... Uh, and also encouraged her to sort of follow her gut, even if that meant not following the path that her parents had set for her. So um, at that point, she left Blade Garden and she spent a few years working sort of as a sellsword um, and eventually found her way into the world of bounty hunting, which she enjoys. Um, she doesn't feel a strong need to prove herself. She just likes doing a job well and she enjoys a challenge. Um, and bounty hunting has provided that for her. If she ever fails at a task, there's always the next one. So that's sort of her attitude on things. Awesome. Was there anything from Critical Role that inspired this character? Honestly, I was more trying not to make something that was too similar to anybody who's already in Critical Role. I had a bunch of ideas that I was like, ooh, it'd be really cool if I did blank. And then I was like, oh, that's just like existing character. I really wanted to try and find an area of Wildmount and the characters within Wildmount that hadn't already been deeply explored within Critical Role. That's, I think that's a perfect opportunity for this podcast. Yay. I'm excited about uh, Echo Knight. Yeah, for sure. Oh, me too. Just the mechanics <laughs> of that character type. That was one of the things when reading through the book. Yeah, it's awesome. I hope that I get a chance to actually use some of those features. Well, maybe you will. 
So with all of that uh, said, listeners, you know the the players. You're a little bit more familiar with uh, what Wild Mount is. We're going to kick off the actual adventure, which is taking place in a specific area with some specific themes in mind. So I'm going to spend a little bit more exposition time kind of establishing this, and then uh, we'll uh, let these maniacs loose. If you're familiar with the Adventure They Wrote podcast, you know that these are detectives. These are uh, mystery solvers, and we're trying to adapt that theme to this setting specifically. Now, a lot of work has been done building these kind of incredibly rich political conflicts in this world. There's a a huge war going on, Um, multiple kind of uh, royal families and political entities and organizations and factions vying for power across the land. And we're going to touch on very little of that. Um, This is going to be more about these characters kind of resolving this problem, but with all of that happening as a backdrop. So with that in mind, we're actually going to start with the motivations of Sam's ledger. Now, ledger is an enforcer for a debt collector uh, within the Myriad, which is a an enormous criminal syndicate. Now, uh, he's actually one of the most trusted debt collectors for this man and has been tasked with returning a former client, a client who had borrowed a significant sum of money and then simply disappeared. And for months he was gone, which is strange because the Myriad has connections everywhere. They're, they're typically able to reach out and find out where someone has gone. But this, this particular individual has just simply disappeared, but recently has been sighted in Pale Bank Village. Now, Pale Bank Village is a, a small village on the coast of the Grain Wildlands. This is sort of the Wild West uh, mixed with Alaska. Uh, the Crystal Sands Tundra is this frozen wasteland, um, and Pale Bank Village is the, f- the first village to really eke out an existence in this wild space. So Ledger, being so um, trusted by this organization, has been sent to figure out what's going on with this person. Max, the the reformed uh, revelry pirate, and now kind of this mercenary fixer type character. He's had his eye on this industry for so long that he can start to tease out hints and glimpses of what could be. And uh, he knows that something is going on. He knows that something huge is going on, but he can't figure out quite what it is. He has these contextual clues that he's put together, and he knows that they're drawing him into Pale Bank Village, where something is happening, but he's not quite sure what it is. Celine has been tasked by her organization, by the the um, sort of mercenaries guild within Rosanna, um, and they've sent her to this place where they she hasn't gotten very much backstory. She's gotten relatively little. Doran, the deep gnome sheriff, also tasked with returning a stolen object, uh, something that was stolen from uh, Zorhas, uh, and. Um, you know, sort of battling his inner conflictions along the way. Lastly, Kath, working through her agent, working through uh, sort of the mercenary system, also tasked 
with finding a specific individual and sent to Pale Bank Village. So as the adventure starts, as we um, set these characters loose to figure this out, um, we find all of them at the gates of Pale Bank Village, having arrived simultaneously, somewhat conveniently. How convenient. Yeah. And that's where uh, we'll kick it off, and I'll turn it over to them to start making decisions slash my life difficult. Uh, I have a, a quick question. Do we know each other? Do any of us have any pre-existing relationships? No. No. You're all all brand new. Okay. So we're all just standing like outside of the town together randomly? Yeah, how does the gate how does the gate work? Is there somebody guarding it? Is there like what do you have to do to enter? So Palebank Village is super small. Like the population is seven hundred people. It's a, a tiny little hard scrapped uh, uh, you know, rough and tumble town. It sits on the northernmost portion of the Crystal Sands Tundra uh, in the shadows of the Flatcat Alps. So you've got mountains to the east, the ocean to the north, uh, and to the west and south, miles and miles of frozen wasteland. That being said, it does have some form of governance, and, and you're all sort of aware of this. This is all in your your mission briefings when you were sent out. Um, an elf ranger, Elro Aldatar, is um, kind of the appointed leader of the village, uh, and he's in charge of a small, errant force of glass blades. Additionally... When under attack by, you know, something like trolls or, or some of the other monsters that kind of are up in this area, the, the citizens will take up arms. These are all rough and tumble types uh, and willing to fight. So when you get up to the walls, the walls are, are um, mostly kind of wood uh, piled up rock. It's not, you know, uh, any sort of fancy construction. It's kind of a roughshod and quickly assembled attempt to keep out the worst of the Crystal Sands Tundra. All right, so we're all sitting in front of the, the gate, right? Is it open? Yes, it is open. Um, there's a guard uh, on on one side of the gate, um, and he's kind of just peering out over you. He doesn't seem concerned with you. He seems more concerned with what could come from the, the wilderness. So Doran is eating a meat dumpling, and he, <laughs> he sees all these individuals around him. She's just going to say, do you guys know uh, Aldatar? I'm looking for him. Uh, who? He's an elf. He's, he's inside. I, I thought maybe you'd know. I don't know. I, I'm new here, too. Um, uh, yeah, let's maybe we should ask somebody who lives here. I think Selena's going to walk up to Max and Doran. Oh, honey, do you think that that gentleman up there might know um, anything about him? Because I've heard that name before, too, and... I've been sent here to find somebody. Sounds good to me. Uh, Keth is going to notice that they're talking about finding somebody and just sort of like casually a little bit follow them. (laughs) (laughs) Max is going to look around and sort of see that we have a a, a group sort of coming together. And being the person who gives workout and puts groups together is going to try to try to use that skill and be like, uh, so, are we are we all looking for the same person by chance? Um, and he's gonna point and look at Ledger and say, "You you look like somebody who knows what's going on. What are you, what are you here for?" So, 
ledger right now is in um, sort of like a a fine overcoat. So he looks you know slightly underdressed for the weather, but still in something warm. You know, silver hair, carrying a leather handbag. Um, no one from the group would notice, but uh, but Hector is nearby in one of the trees, kind of observing from above. And so what what Ledger says is, um, I'm just. I'm here about a little bit of paperwork that I need to deliver to someone, so perhaps we are looking for the same person. Max is going to turn to the the half orc and uh, and say, "So, uh, are you are you here for the same reason too? It looks like we're all we're all waiting for my chemical romance tickets." <laughs> <laughs> Doran will brush back the hair that's covering one of his eyes. Yeah, Kath is going to do her best which is not very good, to pretend that she is surprised and was not following them. <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> are you, are you, oh, are you looking for someone? That's, huh. I don't even have a name. I'm just looking for somebody with a scar. Do any of you have a scar over your left eye? Well, maybe we are. Well, actually, I mean, I have plenty of scars. That's irrelevant because I'm looking for a man who might also be scarred since... He's uh, apparently missing an eye. Oh, 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 oh. I have both of my eyes. Max checks. <laughs> Ledger just starts walking in to the village. He just starts walking towards the gate while this is going on. Oh, oh hold on there, honey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You come back here. Uh, I'm looking for somebody that has a milky eye, and I think we should all kind of put our traits together to see who we've come here for. Who are you looking for that you're collecting a debt on? Oh, I'm um, a simple financial transaction on on my part. Uh, not really. I don't know if a debt's involved. I, it's rude of me to look over the the exact details of the the paperwork, but. Um, oh, you don't strike me as shy, though. Just check it out. So Ledger sort of like glances into the bag that he's holding, and sort of shuffles things around and um, then he just makes something up. Uh, he's just like uh, <laughs> a, a, a halfling I think is um, this This looks like a, a halfling name but um, this isn't too terribly large of a place so I'm sure if I get inside the village and, and get near a fire I'd be able to look over the paperwork in a little bit more detail and, and and figure out who I might be looking for. Yeah, I could probably use a drink and a nice fire. Do you know how hard it is to come up with cold weather clothing for a goblin? Oh, I kind of like it. I have a pretty good idea. Earmuffs? Probably not nearly as hard as coming up with five times that amount of fabric to clothe a half-orc, but I'm sure it's challenging. (laughs) (laughs) Max just nods. I find it kind of nice. Feels like home to me. Well, let's uh, let, let's head in. Let, we're we're just we're standing outside the gates like a like a like a weird group of <laughs> like <a> weird. <laughs> weirdos. Let's let's go, let's go inside. Yeah, at this point, the guard is definitely looking at you. <laughs> Max waves sheepishly. Hi. I do like a really exaggerated salute. He he waves back enthusiastically. Hi. Oh, no, he's one of those guys. Can he hear us? Yeah, I mean, in my head, you guys have been three feet away from him the entire time, so. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the best place to get um, a drink and a fire, please, sir, guard? Make sure it's got whiskey. He says, uh, um, the best place is probably the errant Norwal, um... 
because it's the only place. Oh, cool. Hey, what's what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? <laughs> what's your rich backstory? What are your hobbies? What's your relationship like with your mom? <laughs> You know, I was ready for this, Jason. Just the way that you <laughs> asked it through me. You're welcome. <laughs> he says, oh, uh, my name is Donner. And um, I, uh, I'm i a guard at Pale Bank Village. <laughs> and then he, he looks behind himself real quick and nods and then looks back at you. Like as if to check and make sure that the village was still there. Cool. Cool. And he says, but I sometimes I'm also a bouncer at uh, the Errant Norwal. Um, are there any drinks that we should uh, avoid at the Errant Norwal? He thinks probably harder than you've ever seen someone think about something. <laughs> like it's physically difficult for him. Don't hurt yourself, buddy. Yeah, he goes, uh, no, you're good. Okay, well, um, cool, thanks. Uh, I'm going to go to the Errant Narwhal. Um you guys are welcome to join if you wish, uh, but uh, let's um, let's find this guy because um, I, uh, I yeah, let's do that. That sounds delightful. Celine looks at all of them and before going in goes, whoa, whoa, whoa! I didn't get anybody's name here. Where have y'all got your manners from? I'm Celine Ray. I'm here, as you know, trying to find a guy with a milky eye, but. Where are you all coming from? I'm Kath, and I don't really see, you know, the importance of getting to know each other super well. But I guess, nice to meet you. Well, it's nice to meet you too, honey. But, I mean, you don't just walk into a place together as strangers and try to become friends. I mean, I I do. Well, I don't, I don't trust folks like that. That's okay. Uh, what's the matter? Uh, I'm Doran. And he turns around and walks into <laughs> Walks away. Yeah, Max is walking backwards into the into the village, and he's he just says, uh, "I'm Max. Hi. Um, I I help I help mercenaries find work because um, as a goblin, it's hard to find work. So it's um, you know you know let's let's yeah." And turns around and starts walking toward the bar. <laughs> uh, my name's Ledger. Like. Ledger domain and Ledger does like this weird little hand gesture as he says that as if he's like a fake wizard and um, I'm mostly an accountant and I, I do a little bit of paralegal work so I occasionally get sent to godforsaken places like this to you know, deliver summons and, and other really boring uninteresting tasks hmm I think I have something for you later when we get done with this. At least now I know who y'all are. I don't do taxes. Uh, it's not about taxes. Alright, let's go get that drink. Well, I'm not entirely sure uh, when this episode is going to come out. This is just a friendly reminder that taxes are due soon, so... (laughs) (laughs) It's just something to think about. Maybe you haven't started them yet. Maybe you've got the papers piled up somewhere. You say that like that hasn't been my primary stressor. Uh, This is just... You know, we're trying to do our part. <laughs> so as you as you make your way through this, uh, you know, very, very small village, you see all the buildings are kind of built from like driftwood and canvas and clo- uh, sailcloth. People are huddled around um, fires and uh, wood stoves. Ledger looks visibly disgusted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the smell of 
like whale meat and blubber is pervasive. It is. It has sunk deep into the grain of the wood and the fabric of the sailcloth. Mm. And you know somehow, having having not smelled it ever before, that that is exactly what it is. Is anyone else hungry? <laughs> Dorn just holds up a meat dumpling. Max looks up and is like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Celine also perks up and she's like, mmm, it smells real nice. Ledger has like the edge of his cloak kind of over his face like as if it was a filter as as he's walking <laughs> yeah ledger is probably not real hungry having smelled that max will look at doran and ask uh you, you got any more of those um those meat pie things oh they're dumplings but yeah here awesome <laughs> Ginny, meat pies are a, a big part of the adventure they wrote podcast for some reason <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Maybe because they're delicious. They are delicious. Especially with dinosaur meat. Yeah, these dumplings aren't dinosaur meat, but they are from the Underdark, so mm. spider, I don't know. Yeah. Some inky. Ooh. <laughs> Tendrils. <laughs> Ooh, question mark. Super crunchy. <laughs> question mark dumplings. Love it. All right, let's go to the bar. Um, so as you get near the bar, um, you see it's it's probably one of the more sturdy buildings in the entire village. Uh, it has a stone foundation. Um, the wood that makes up its walls and roof uh, is the highest quality wood that you've seen. This isn't driftwood. This is you know something that someone brought in to construct this to make it more durable and last longer. Small windows along the side of it uh, filter out kind of this flickering sort of lantern light uh, that looks oily and greasy. You know kind of innately already that these are whale whale oil lamps. Um, and the smell kind of wafting out of it uh, is a sick and sweet smell of cooking fish and bread. So you also realize that on the horizon, uh, over the water, you see a storm rolling in. Uh, and the locals, um, having also spotted this roiling black wall of clouds, are hurrying around and strapping down their tents, basically battening down the hatches, preparing for um, what looks like a, a, a pretty bad storm. And just as you make it to the... the door of the inn, um, the first little bits of freezing rain start peppering you and the ground around you, uh, and an extra icy wind uh, blows in that just seems to cut down to your bones. Yeah, trying to find a fire would be a delicious opportunity right now. Have we found the errant Norwell, or... Yeah, you're outside of it right now. A sign hangs over the door, actually, with kind of a, a Norwell leaping up out of the icy blue waters with a, you know, extra long horn on his face? I don't know. Where's the Nor... <laughs> <laughs> yes. <Head>. Yes, face. <laughs> Coming out of his snout. Dorn will go and open the door for everybody. Oh, well, bless your heart. Thank you, honey. She's going to walk right on past him. Um, the interior of the inn is is warm, uh, and actually a little bit warmer than you expected it to be. Um, the, the inn itself must be somehow insulated from the forces of the storm and, and environment outside. 
Max is going to take a step into the bar and he's going to look around and he's going to say, you know, I bet keeping this place warm is no easy tusk. <laughs> oh. All of the sound cuts out entirely. Everyone stops talking. They turn and stare at you. The fire seems to stop crackling so loudly. And everyone just immediately turns and looks at Max. Max, roll a dexterity check. <laughs> that, is a, that is a nat 20. It's going to be the only one of the day, but that is a nat 20. <laughs> okay, a nat 20 on the dexterity check. Uh, one of the patrons nearest to you stands up and hurls a mug of grog with all of his might, and you snatch it out of the air and take a long pull. All right, no more narwhal puns. I got it. I got it. Sorry. <clears throat> While everybody is staring at him, uh, that seems like a prime opportunity to check out everybody's eyeballs. Does anybody look like they do not have both of them? I almost feel like the rest of you should have to roll like wisdom saves against the pun. <laughs> or constitution, constitution. saves. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, I would love to roll a perception check if that's all right. Uh, that's perception checks all around. Oh boy! Perception. Good thing I got perception. Stop. Ooh, that's not very good. Oh, okay. Ledger is a sixteen. Celine is a fourteen. Doran's a thirteen. Max is a. 18, 11 on the dice. Keth got a dirty 20. Just want to point out it's 2020. We got two 20s already. That's right. Two 20s and it's 2020. I love it. Um, Talia, one more time. Remind me what you got. 14. All right. All pretty high. Uh, here's, here's what we'll do. Everyone, you see a crowded room. There are probably 30 to 40 people sort of crammed into this bar uh, while, you know, there's still sort of room to walk around and it's just cozy. It's real cozy, but in a gross way. Um, These people don't look healthy is the point that I'm trying to get across. They're not prime specimens. So you see a, actually um, all of you see a number of people that would sort of fit the description of the, the people that you're looking for. Max and Ginny, you see one table in particular that looks promising. It's a table with uh, seven people at it, and they these are people that actually didn't turn and look at Max when he made his awful pun, and seem to be trying to avoid uh, uh, being noticed. Max will look over at Keth and, and kind of do the, the knowing nod, and then the glance over at that table. Yeah, Keth is gonna do like sort of a, it's it's trying to be like a subtle "I got you" nod, but it, it looks not subtle at all. <laughs> Half work nod, like a super emphasized Enthusiastic. wink. Enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of those winks where you open your eyes real wide first and then real slowly shut one eye. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like Lucille from Arrested Development wink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Subtlety is not her specialty. <laughs> uh, and then Max will, uh, Max will head up to the bar and try to find a spot at the bar that has a decent vantage point looking at that table of seven. When Celine yeah. sees him going up, she's going to say, Oh, hey, Max, be a deer and, and grab us all a whiskey when you're up there, please. Uh, I... Have you seen me? And he holds up his tiny hands. 
I'll help out. I'm gonna go over with Max and help grabbing all of the whiskeys. I have very large hands. <laughs> Uh, Fletch, uh, quick question about uh, our our location. How are they uh, with goblins? Because, you know, goblins. Yeah. Um, so Palebank Village is the wildlands. This is, this is a place where um, simultaneously you're on your own, but survival depends a lot on everyone. You know, like it's a, a community thing. Um, so while they might not be wild about goblins and tieflings and that sort of thing, um, they're certainly not going to turn you away or uh, um, degrade you to your face just in case they might need your help tomorrow. Sure, sure. Cool. So, so Doran was holding the door open. When everyone goes in and he closes the door, he's going to turn into a mouse and then he's going to scamper in. He's going to go underneath the tables and eavesdrop. Great. So Ledger in this environment has become aware of a, of a fact that he's trying to figure out how to reconcile. So one of the things that he has with him is uh, it's his spellcasting rod, but it's a, it's a silver walking stick with a sapphire on the end that's a pretty good size. And he's getting a feel which he didn't really fully understand until the walk into town that... He's holding an object that's probably worth many years of any given one of, of these folks' salaries <laughs> and is is trying to, you know, he already kind of stands out because he's, he's finely dressed, but he's become very aware of the fact that he might become a, a target um, depending on how rough this crowd is. Your perception check was... A 16. Ledger's was a 16, yes? Yeah. Wrapped into that is the understanding that um, these guys might see you as a target, but they're not going to do anything in town. It's a lawless area, but the towns are sort of bastions for... This village is a bastion for law within the Crystal Sands Tundra. The ranger that runs it really doesn't tolerate any nonsense um, and would have no problem kicking someone out that violated the rules. Uh, and being kicked out without any support is sort of a death sentence. Good to know. Before we move to the bar scene, did Celine notice that Doran turned into a rat? Uh, roll another perception check. Oh yeah, she noticed. That's a 20. What is going on? Dirty 20 or a natural 20? Not nat 20, but it's a 17 plus 3. Okay. All right, all right. At least they're not all 23s, Fletch. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> 19 or 23. Yeah, so you notice him. You notice him turn into a little mouse. A cute little right. mouse She's with a button nose. Keep her eye on him, but not make a big scene. <laughs> Holy crap, that guy turned into a mouse! <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that? Okay, so, Max. Yes. You sidle up to the bar. Um, the bar is not a um, solid, polished, uh, uh, you know, length of wood. It's actually... Some sort of bone, an enormous bone. Awesome. Eight or nine feet long uh, and carved relatively flat. Uh, and also sort of, you can tell it's been self-polished by years of drinks sliding across it. Yeah, love it. Stains, whiskey stains. Uh, behind the bar, you don't see the normal uh, assortment of differently colored liquids and bottles and, and glasses. You see uniformed uh, bottles of a 
putrid yellow liquid uh, of varying degrees of murkiness. As you get comfortable in your seat, the bartender approaches. He's a, a re- he's a man that looks like he was once fatter than he now is. Um, his uh, apron hangs a bit loose on him, and he has a, a scruffy, um, ill-looking beard. Uh, and he's cleaning a glass with a dirty rag. <laughs> and he says, what do you want? Uh, I would like five of your finest um, or murkiest whiskeys. Please. He sort of, he cocks an eyebrow at you and he says, well, what is it, finest or murkiest? Oh, um, finest, please. So he goes uh, back to the bar behind him. He grabs a bottle of the least murky putrid yellow liquid and he pours it out into five various glasses. Uh, They're not all uniformly the same. They're, uh, it looks like whatever he could get his hands on. While he's pouring that, I want to lean over to Max and just kind of quietly say, so, I don't know, let's level with each other here. What are you looking for out of this? Because I don't think all of us are going to be able to take the same guy back with us. Um, well, I'm just, I'm a facilitator. I like helping people find work. And I was given a tip that there was a gentleman here that would be worth a lot of money back in the, um, you know, real world. And uh, so I thought I'd come and I'd, uh, you know, help. So um, who are you working for? Uh, well, I mean, I have a boss. I don't know that I should necessarily give you the details. The point is that I need to bring whoever this guy is back with me. And it seems like if there's you know, this many of us looking for the same guy, most of us are going to go home disappointed. Ah, uh, true. Um, well, uh, since I'm not specifically looking to take him back, either dead or alive, um, I'm happy to just, I'm happy to just help. So let me know if there's anything I can do. And, um, um, I don't know. Who, are there any of our group that you are more worried about than others? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm less worried about you now, so that's a check off the list. I guess we'll see. Okay. Well, um, my uh, my eye is on the um, is on the bookkeeper. Yeah, that's reasonable. He's saying the least the least threatening things about his purpose, but that gives me the opposite vibe. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you're looking for a guy with no eye. I'm looking for a guy with a scar above his left eye. Um, Maybe we're just all on the same page and the eye situation is uh, being poorly communicated. (laughs) Probably. Um, All right. Well, maybe we can make all of this work. Um, If it's a take him back dead thing, you know, I I guess as long as there's proof, maybe we could just um, (laughs) divide him up up a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm game for that. Excellent. The bartender, having overheard all of this, <laughs> widens his eyes a little bit as you begin discussing carving him up. You know, hypothetically, in a, in a, I, in a, yeah. And uh, starts whistling as casually as he can and like making his way away from you. With the whiskey? Port. It is in the glasses. <laughs> okay, great. Looking, whatever the antithesis of scrumptious is. Great. Hmm. Uh, Max will look at the bartender and say, uh, how much do I owe you for both the drinks and the discretion? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, he points to a price sheet uh, behind him that has, uh, you know, shot of whiskey, uh, one silver piece. Discretion uh, to gold. <laughs> gr- grog, uh, you know, two silver pieces, and then under that, discretion, five silver pieces. <laughs> Max, will, Max will pony up two gold, and uh, I, I feel like that math works out. Great. He snatches it off the bar before it even has a chance to settle and uh, gives you a nod as if to convey, I won't talk about how you're going to carve one of these guys up. Uh, And he walks over to keep pouring putrid whiskey to uh, the rest of the patrons in the bar. Secrets in the sauce! (laughs) (laughs) All right, Keth will grab three of the glasses in her giant hands. Max will grab the other two. (laughs) Walk back over to the group that is now only four of us. Oh, yeah. Because someone's a mouse. <laughs> where's it, Where's our gnome? Speaking of that, did, was uh, Doran able to gather any useful information by scampering around and listening to people? Yeah, roll a perception check for me, Brad. Fifteen. Um, you hear a, a myriad of conversations, um, mostly about uh, how bad the storm looks coming in, how uh, the work on the um, port is going, uh, and that this will delay some of the ships leaving to Isilcross. Uh, you also hear um, from the table I, I previously mentioned a certain degree of urgency not at the other tables. Uh, sort of like a, a desire to be gone from uh, this place as soon as possible. From that shifty looking table? Yeah. So Doran will scamper up onto a seat and turn back into a deep gnome as they're coming up with the, the glasses. Keth was like about to down the extra whiskey but <laughs> sort of sheepishly hands it over. Fletch, what is the floor like in this establishment? Actually, it's paving stones covered in straw. Perfect. Ledger's going to make a big gesture towards the group to get their attention and is going to ask... Um, so, how is the service here? And while he's doing that, he's going to use shape water to splash his glass of whiskey out of the glass and onto the floor so that he looks as if he drank it, but he didn't. So, a little bit of distraction and misdirection, and then get rid of the whiskey. How, how do we know if we saw that happen? <laughs> uh, perception checks. Okay, I'm going to roll one of them. Uh, 14. So yeah, he'll gesture with his left hand, kind of lean into the group, make eye contact, and then sort of tilt the glass a little bit, and then allow shape water to just instantaneously move the water out of the glass and and onto the floor. So Keth thinks that he might have, like, spilt some of the whiskey, which agitates her, but she doesn't think that he would have poured it all out, that uh, he was trying to get rid of it, so... All right, great. She's like a little annoyed that it was wasted because she totally would have drank that, but whatever. Exactly, yeah. So Doran's going to pound that whiskey down, and then he's going to use minor illusion to create a little image of the table of the shifty-looking people. These guys, these guys right here. What about them? What did you you see? We got to talk to those guys. Were we just going to all walk over in a big group and just casually surround their table? Yes. That feels like a bad strategy. I'm open to suggestions. Welcome to Adventure, they wrote, Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) We ham-handedly make our way. Yes, over to the table. 
Is there a table near them that's not occupied? There's a table near them with two people at it. Um, but empty chairs. Let's just all go sit with them. Yeah, can I walk over to that table and do, like, an intimidation? Like, are you leaving soon? Absolutely, yeah. Roll that intimidation check. <laughs> okay. Um... Is there no advantage on this um, based on size? Yeah. Well, I, I am proficient in intimidation, so... Okay. But I only got a 13, so I don't know. Um, they look uneasy, but they also uh, look like they want to finish their drinks. So they, they sort of, they, they like turn away from you a little bit, but like, I don't know how this is going to go. I sit right next to one of them and just watch them drink their drinks. Yeah, that's the point where they get up and they leave. Score. <laughs> yeah, I think Celine will follow Keth over. And uh, while Keth is kind of like leaning in to get them to move out, she'll be like, Oh, I'm gonna grab this chair right here, and then she's gonna pull it over to the table of the folks that Doran showed us. How are you all doing today? Talia, I always feel like sometimes you do these things where I'm like, there should be an awkward check. (laughs) Just to figure out, like, how awkward they feel. They can take, like, a constitution check against it. Charisma? Or insight. It sort of is like a constitution check. Yeah. Like, ooh. And while this is going on, Ledger gets up and is sort of just making his way through this place, uh, seeing if he sees anyone that has bright blue eyes. And Max is going to keep his eye on Ledger. Ooh, now we're getting into the intrigue, you guys. Okay, they save against awkward. <laughs> okay. So they, they look... <laughs> They look um, as if they're a little uh, put off by your presence, but not by, um, you know, any significant degree. They're just sort of agitated. They sort of scoot their chairs away from you a little bit. And uh, one of them says, this is a private table. How many of them are at the table? Seven. Seven. Uh, and what types of creatures and folks are they? Um, they're all uh, uh, humans or half-elves. My favorite enemies are elves and humans, so oh. this is going to be good for me. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> how do they look in terms of like how they're, how they're dressed? Like, yeah, like, I don't know. Do they, do they look like they are hardened travelers or like, what's the vibe? That's a great question. They are, they look like they are, they've been on a long and hard road. Um, they look haggard. They look tired. Their clothes look like they haven't been cleaned in a long time. Um, they're all wearing traveling clothes, like cloaks and that sort of thing. Um, but they don't, uh, they don't look like uh, hardened warriors or something like that. So like they've been traveling a long time, but maybe they're not used to that. Yes. Yeah. Selene is going to look at the guy that uh, sort of rudely told her that it was a private table and uh, say, Well, honey, I'm not here to barge in on you. I just wanted to make friends. It looks like y'all are pretty interesting. What brings you here today? He says, uh, that is our own business. Oh, well, you seem like you must be a shy fellow. And then she looks at the um, person next to him. Honey, what's up with this fellow here? Do you, does he need another drink? And then she waves at the bartender and uh, motions to bring more whiskey over to the table. The guy that you're looking at, he says, um, we are not drinking those things. You have to go now. Oh, no, no, no. Settle down. Settle down. 
Why are you so anxious here? Uh, you got something to hide? We're just, just going to go for it. <laughs> Kath is going to stand up and stand right behind Celine and just fold her arms and just generally <laughs> look like if she wants to sit there, she's going to f- sit there. <laughs> yes. What's the window situation like in, in this place, Fletch? Uh, there are... <laughs> Tell me about the architecture. I want to know the rich backstory of the building itself. Hey, to be fair, I kind of went into the architecture before, all right? I gave the rich backstory of this building. You mentioned that there were windows, but are they transparent enough that Hector can look in? I thought you were going for the throw them out the windows thing. Um, I think so, yeah. There, there are very small windows, but Hector could look in through one. So while Ledger is looking through the errant narwhal... Um, he instructs Hector to start looking through the windows to see if they're, if either of them are able to spot their mark. Keth and Celine, I want you both to roll charisma checks. Mm, this Celine is not as charismatic. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Is it really charisma? Because I feel like she's trying to do intimidation. <laughs> yeah. But I can roll charisma. That is fair for a half work. <laughs> Celine got a 15. Uh, oh, that's a natural 20. Ooh. The most charismatic half-orc you ever did meet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, because I have a plus zero to charisma, so... <laughs> uh, and Talia, what did you get? A 15. 15, okay. Um, so, Kath, as you uh, get behind Celine and cross your shoulders and exude this aura of just dark intimidation... Suddenly, you hear this whoosh and like a giant bang, and and it seems like the entire uh, body of the in the tavern sort of like pushes in on you. the The table in front of you, um, they all sort of start at it, and various people sort of throughout the room start. But you can tell that the locals, this is something that they're pretty accustomed to. You hear at a, a table beside you some local fishermen say that uh, it sounds like it's going to be an awful bad one. And um, with, with that, you hear this pelting rain just assault the roof over you. And it, there's almost this dull kind of drone as this wind and rain and storm um, kind of pits itself against the building that you're in. So she's going to make eye contact with the guy who was telling Celine to go away and say, looks like we're all going to be stuck here for a while. Maybe we should make friends. Ooh. I like it. He shifts uncomfortably in his seat. He is, you, you detect um, fear and agitation, <laughs> and he just he wants to be away from here. Yeah. Uh, but he, he gives a grudging nod and... Uh, waves over one of the the waitresses and speaks quietly with her and then motions to a space in the table kind of between Celine and one of his compatriots. Great. I pull up a chair. Uh, Doran would like to do a nature check in the storm and see if there's anything unnatural about it. Oh, I like it. Roll your nature check. And then he's going to talk to a plant. (laughs) 21. (laughs) Yeah, this is not a normal storm. This is, there's something kind of woven in between the, the rain and the wind that's almost uh, urging it on. You can tell this, it, it would, there would still be a storm, um, but something about the ferocity of this uh, is unnatural. 
Is Doran at a table by himself at this point now? Yeah, everyone walked away and he's just going, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Geralt of Rivia style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> <laughs> Max is just going to like walk over to the door and do that the the like open the door really quickly just to see what it looks like outside and then shut it real fast just so they can get some of that that wind and the the oh no we're stuck roll a strength check oh no Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no uh that'll be it that'll be a 5 minus 1 so that's a 4 <laughs> Does Doran see him opening the door? He just figured out how strong the storm is. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, Max, you you crack the door a little bit, um, and as its latch uh, uh, is lifted away from the hook on the door, the bartender reaches out a hand and screams, No! <laughs> what? <laughs> the wind hits it and catapults you through the room. So it pushes the door back against you Fantastic. and and flings you over the the heads of all the patrons. And this is another moment where the locals are all sort of like, man, it happened again. Uh, and the, the people that are sort of newer to the area, f- like duck away and, and, and try to get out of your trajectory. Um, but you are you are going to take. Ten points of bludgeoning damage. What? Oh, no. <laughs> wow. Oh, no. Ouch. Well, I figure this is, it's multiple bludgeons. It's the, it's right, the door as it hits tables. you. It's the wall as you hit the door, and it's the floor yeah, yeah. as you bounce off the wall and onto the floor. So. And it's like oh, diminishing boy. returns. <laughs> yeah. That's a quarter of my hit points. <sighs> oh, no. It's okay. I'm a goblin. I'm good. <gasps> Uh, and one of the local fishermen runs over and he puts his shoulder up against the door and manages to get it latched. Uh, sorry, sorry about that. I just wanted to see what it looked like outside. Uh, I won't do that again. Um, some of the fisher, one of the fishermen stands up and he goes, where did he land? And another one looks over at where you are and he says, B7. And they all pull out pieces of paper and start checking. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> yeah, one guy's like, I'm one away. <laughs> I could do it again. <laughs> I'm light. He'll look over at Doran. He's like, you want to ride? <laughs> Doran just shakes his head. No, man. No. It only hurts a little bit. So I assume the seven people at the table are not talking. They're doing the thing where, um, like, they're making eye contact, and then they'll glance over at your direction or Celine's, and they are all just very quietly sort of, like, sipping on mugs of grog as they basically wait for you to be gone. Yeah. Celine is going to push the whiskey up to the one that she asked if he was hiding anything again and be like, come on, honey. You You don't need to be shy here. We're just... We're going to be stuck for a while. Might as well share the time together. He says, uh, he looks down at the glass and he says, I told you, we do not drink Sahagwin whiskey. Oh, but why not? It's so delicious. And then she'll throw hers back. Those sea hooligans really know what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) It's not delicious. Um, I... (laughs) 
It is to uh, Celine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's alcoholic to Celine. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it does. It, they they look uh, repulsed by it. Uh, Keth downs hers and then says, "It gets better the more you have." <laughs> <laughs> One of them mumbles, "It almost has to." <laughs> All right, so she'll uh, look back at the one that said it almost has to and say, well, if you're going to be so rude, even though I ordered all of this for you, the least you could do is tell us what you're doing here. He says, we are sightseeing. <laughs> oh, sightseeing, huh? Me too. Looks like you've been traveling a bit. Where are you coming in from? We are from out of town. That's so wild. We're from out of town, too. Maybe we're from the same place. Max is going to amble over to where Ledger is, and uh, he's going to kind of lean over and say, All right, buddy. So what's your angle in all this? I was sent here to deliver some some paperwork. Does your paperwork uh, require a, a whole dead or alive thing? Oh, dear. I can't, I can't imagine. Well, I mean, I, I guess you can't really pay a debt if you're dead. So I'm assuming that you are leaning toward the alive side, right? Sometimes a message is more important than a debt. Oh, okay. And um, so who are you working for? Because I know who I'm working for. And I kind of understand who Keth is working for. And I kind of get where Celine is coming from, but you are my anomaly here in all this. It's really of, of no consequence. Just a simple transaction that if things go well, will be done and I'll be on my way. I, I doubt it will interrupt whatever it is you do for a living. Hmm. Okay. And then Max will kind of give him the like the we the the one eye nod and sort of like all right fine cool whatever and um walk back over to the bar making eye contact the whole way as max is is walking away i'm wondering what ledger might know of this situation or if he was you know a goblin in a town like this is going to stand out was this something that was mentioned to him in any way where he would feel comfortable about divulging other info um as far as like the other agents working on the mission yeah it's ledger was was sent here uh he works for a debt collector uh from the myriad so he works for Korshad Sedek and he's uh who's an NPC in the book by the way uh but he's um you know he's here to find a person, usually by the time Ledger is involved, that person's mortality is not really an issue. Like, he either gets the debt or he gets whatever taken care of needs to be taken care of. Uh, so it, as part of being sent here, was Ledger given instructions about any of these other folks uh, that that he's met, or was he just simply told to seek out someone with bright blue eyes. So, uh, Korshad, when Korshad sent you out, um, it was almost, he's, he's almost more curious than he is angry about the, this debt being skipped out on um, because the Myriad is usually able to figure out where someone is almost immediately. They've got connections everywhere. Um, Korshad wants to know how this person was able to drop off the map so effectively 
that it took them months to have spotted them up here in this remote wilderness. Uh, so while, you know, the, the request for some sort of uh, remuneration on the, the debt was there, it's more about figuring out the information and then um, any sort of punishment or, uh, you know, collection after the fact is somewhat secondary. Okay, so in effect, the ruse that Ledger has been working with plays into this because he really just does want to make contact as opposed to some of the other things that he's been asked to do as part of his work. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I'll let Max kind of go on his way then as I continue to just look around and and see what what I can see. Doran's going to go over to the bar as well, sit down next to Max. He's going to motion for the bartender to come over and say, uh, well, um, what's up with the storm? Uh, I don't know. You, you, I, I've never seen anything like this. I'm a city goblin. I don't, I don't usually get out to weather like this. It's not natural. Um, the bartender actually hears you guys talking and, and wanders over. He offers up, yeah, I've been here over a decade. Never seen anything like this myself. Is this, uh, uh, man-made or, uh, uh, just unnaturally weird. No, it's magical somehow. Well, that's not good. Max doesn't have any sort of, uh, like, arcane knowledge. He's just a, you know, Max is just a rough and tumble guy. Uh, would, would Doran have any sort of insight onto the magical nature? Um, into the magical nature of the storm, no. Uh, this is, it, it but it, that's also telling in itself. Um, Doran should know how a storm would be uh, empowered like this, uh, whether through druidic magic or, um, you know, some form of, of wizard magic. Uh, and this seems to be neither of those things. Uh, it's something entirely foreign. Has Ledger picked up on any of this? The um, We hadn't talked about it yet, but um, you, the, one of the reasons that, um, that Ledger uses the barbarian class is that uh, the path of the storm herald so he has been struck by lightning and has familiarity with with storms and patterns would he detect that this is unnatural I think so yeah given that uh, background uh, yeah Doran would or um, Ledger would realize that there was also something uh, like a you feel like a slight tingle in your bones that um, something is sort of off about this um, getting back to the conversation with the uh, the table, in response to your question about where they are from, uh, they all kind of look at each other uh, back and forth, and then one of them speaks up and says, we're from the Merrow Valley. Um, and the Merrow Valley is a, a very rural area full of farmers and, um, you know, there's not a lot of big cities. Does Selene or Keth have any familiarity with that region? Um, I, Keth, Keth certainly would from traveling around. Um, she would have been through the Marrow Valley uh, infrequently on her way to, you know, little wars that she was fighting in and, and battles and that kind of thing. Um, Celine might be aware of it just because of its proximity to Jorhas, uh, but um, no, like, deep familiarity with it. You'll see it if you look at Jorhas and then go southwest a bit. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So actually, um, so Blade Garden is like right over there. So yeah, that's really, really close to where I came from. Oh, so you're really close to it. Great. Then I would just say, 
What a coincidence. It looks like we may be neighbors. Ah, uh, he says, yes, we may be. So what brings you up here? Because I doubt it's the same as what brings me up here. Ah, uh, he says, uh, like I said, we are sightseeing. Yeah, <laughs> nothing like uh, visiting a vast, empty tundra. He shrugs. He says, to each his own. Selena's going to look at him with kind of a perplexed face and be like, Honey, I don't think you get out very much if you think that this is a place that you want to visit for sightseeing. I mean, look at this storm. Have you seen anything like this before? No. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you might be stuck with us for a while. Yes. Are our characters aware of this thing you're talking about where people go to this town to embark upon adventuring and exploring? Yeah, um, to get to Isilcross, um, <clears throat> Isilcross is, uh, it's its certainly making, the, the news about the artifacts and everything else is certainly making the rounds in the adventuring community. So you would all be aware of that. You'd be aware that um, this is a port that people leave to get to there. So then D- Doran's going to walk up and he's just, he's just going to go, Oh, you guys are going to Isilcross, aren't you? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not deception. <laughs> um, uh, one of them snaps his head up and looks over at you in like stark alarm. Uh, and the others, you see, you can like feel one of them stomp on his foot uh, to try to get him to settle down. Uh, while the one that has been doing the talking says, uh, What would make you think that? Oh, it's just that you're a bunch of guys sitting around a table that want to leave, and uh, the only place to go from here is there. So, it makes sense. <laughs> the logic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they all just kind of look around uncomfortably, but uh, ignore you. Have we gotten physical descriptions of the gentle, the seven gentlemen sitting around the table? Not direct. May may we? Uh, yeah, I, w- I would like to. You know, from my from Max's vantage point at the bar. I'd love to kind of just take a gander at who we've got, what they look like, if they match any descriptions of what we might be looking for. Yeah, so uh, they all, they like I said, they all look pretty travel-worn. Um, they all look kind of scruffy, tired. But beyond that, uh, the one that's been doing all the talking has one blue eye and a burn over his left eye. The one that was surprised has one blue eye, one green eye, and a burn on his left eye. Uh, one that has remained quiet the entire time has two milky eyes, scars over both, and burns on his left eye. Uh, another one that stomped on the foot of the guy that was surprised has two green eyes, a burn on his right eye, and a scar on his left eye. Another one has one right... Uh, his right eye is green, a burn is on his left eye. He has a patch over his left eye that barely conceals the burn. Another, the one that uh, tried to get you to leave, has two blue eyes and a scar over the right eye. And uh, the very first one to speak has one blue eye, an eye patch covering his left eye entirely, uh, with a hint of a burn peeking out from underneath it. So what you're saying is if we kill all of them, <laughs> so this is, then we just got it. So this is like the no-depth perception sightseeing tour, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having flashbacks to standardized testing for the way this is like. I feel like I need to map out a logic puzzle grid. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) If there's a train leaving Isle Cross going 60 miles an hour, (laughs) 
And this guy's got two eyes, then. <laughs> right. So what, what Ledger wants to do is walk up to the bartender and produce a single gold coin and sort of slide it out onto the bar and say, I was hoping you might be able to help me with something other than drinks. The bartender uh, snatches up the gold coin uh, and he looks about a little bit uh, uh, conspiratorially and he says, what do you got in mind? I'm new to town and I was sent here on an order of grave importance. As you can see, I'm also new to this part of the world. Uh, My employer sent me here as part of taking care of an estate and he believes that someone who's in town is going to be the recipient of a great windfall as part of this settlement and I'm here to deliver the details and all I'm really asking of you is to give me a little bit of information about other people such as myself who may have only come here in the the past few weeks um, so that I might be able to speedily deliver this good fortune. He uh, he nods through the entire thing, and then he's like, "Don't don't quite know what most of that means, uh, but if you're asking about people what are new to town, correct exactly. Used to be no one. Used to be a bunch of fishermen and seal hunters. Riveting. Uh." Yeah. <laughs> uh, but now that people are heading out to Isocross, we get a couple dozen every week what wander in. Oh, terrible. I was given one bit of detail, which is the person who I'm looking for has alarmingly beautiful blue eyes. Alarmingly beautiful. So he he kind of, he leans back a bit. He says... Uh, don't don't spend much time uh, evaluating the eyes of my clientele, uh, but it seems they're normally lacking. Yeah, that fits the description of a, a handful of folk. Anyone that you've seen recently? Um, he point he points to a couple people that are in the bar, uh, and he says, uh, "Yeah, these folk uh, these folk came in." Um, random times throughout the last week uh, on their way to the island. Um, they they might fit the bill. Are any of them at the table? Uh, yes, two of them. Two of them are. So is that both of them, or are there more than two? Uh, he points to two that are at the table in question. Okay, I think that Ledger's just going to thank him, and um, I terribly appreciate it. Um, I hope that that this the storm clears without incident. He nods and he'll he'll head over. Gives you a nod um, and keeps wiping his grimy rag around in the drink, the glass. I think when Celine sees Ledger um, come into the table, she'll um, pull out the chair on the other side of her uh, and swing it around and go. Oh, come over here, dear. Uh, we've got some new friends that we've been talking to. Seems they've been traveling in. Oh, travelers. Lovely. They seem to look more agitated with the addition of another uh, person at the table. So out of the people at the table, how many of them are uh, are actually missing an eye? 
or that have a patch over an eye that makes it so you can't tell. If I got it right, there's three with patches? Three with patches, yes. Three with patches, and none that have, like, a gaping open socket, right? (laughs) (laughs) What an evocative way to ask that question, and no. (laughs) All right, great, I'll have to seek out the gaping open socket myself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, are any of the eyepatch people the one of the people that's sitting directly next to me? Um, oh boy, I didn't plot out the table. Let me see. You didn't have a seating arrangement for the tavern? No, <laughs> I should have. I can start building my campaigns in Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Where is Max in relation to the table now? I am still at the bar. No, okay. Max is still at the bar. Yes, one of the, 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 actually the person speaking the most, um, the, the guy with the terrible German accent, he's next to you and he has one, he has an eye patch. Okay, great. What color is that person's visible eye? Blue. Uh, is it milky? How blue? <laughs> what sort of scar does he have above that left eye? Uh, he has a burn on his left eye. Got it. Does he respond to the name Lisa Left Eye Lopez? (laughs) (laughs) And does he rap very well and set people's houses on fire? Undetermined. Undetermined. Dorn's going to carefully look at each one in turn and go, Did you guys fight an eye-eating monster? (laughs) (laughs) They all look around really (laughs) self-consciously. Like they've got a lot of they've got a lot of anxiety built up around the state of their eyes. I turn to the guy next to me and I say, "It's fine. You know, a lot of people are missing eyes. I mean, I assume you're you're missing an eye, right, under that patch." Uh, he just he touches it and he like looks away. Don't be self conscious. I actually think it's uh, really cool. It's got to be the most self conscious, embarrassed group of adventurers I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're just shaming them into. <laughs> submission at this point. We are going to find out what we want to know and we're going to shame you into it. He's not interested in opening up to me about his... Uh, oh, no, no, no. He doesn't say self-image. anything. Self-image. Yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, that's the, Keth isn't really the sort to flirt her way out of a situation either, so <laughs> yeah. it's not really a path she can take. Oh, but Max is... Oh, oh no. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Time to get sexy on the adventure they wrote. Oh, boy. <laughs> Goblin dance. No. Let me show you how this goblin moves. Sweet saxophone jazz. (laughs) I think um, Selena's just gonna look around at the whole table again and just sort of sigh a little bit and go, you know, I'm just gonna get straight to the point here. We got here because. We're all looking for someone, and you fellows all seem to have similarities to the folks that we've been looking for, so why don't we just cut to the chase and really get down to business? So, you finish talking, and they all look very sort of alarmed at you, Uh, And but before anyone can really say or do anything... The storm outside actually seems to get even stronger. And this time, uh, you hear the creaking of the beams in the ceiling above you. Uh, The walls actually seem to bow in and uh, push in on everyone. And this time, 
the the locals even seemed kind of alarmed. Uh, the bartender uh, looks around frantically and starts, you know, moving bottles down from the bar, uh, and and people are shifting around really uncomfortably uh, with you know the 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 sound the oppressive sound of the storm outside. Now the the doors are rattling against their uh, latches. Um, and the windows uh, almost crack a little bit as the wind pushes in on them. Keth is going to lean back in her chair and say, well, all right, fine. You know, I was supposed to deliver something of a windfall to a specific person with one eye, but I guess if nobody's interested, I'll just wait out the storm, drink some of this weird whiskey, and go on my way. From the bar... May Max make an insight check to see if any of the seven is acting any more agitated or weird or awkward than any of the rest of them? Actually, with that in mind, Jason, I want you to roll a perception check, not an insight check. Okay, roger that. Uh, seven on the dice, so 14 total. Um, you see one of them reach into his cloak and he looks at something and then looks over to the the very first one to try to get um, Celine and Keth to leave them alone, and he shows him something, and kind of and gives like a little shake of his head, uh, and the the very first person his face uh, pales, um, and he he looks around at everyone else uh, with abject terror in his eyes. Like, he's, he's not even trying to hide it. You just see a, a terrified man that doesn't seem to be terrified by the storm around them. And can Max see what he showed him from inside the cloak? No. Does Max have line of sight to either Celine or Keth? Uh, no, you're actually looking over their shoulders a bit. So you can see them, but they can't see you. Okay, good. Well, if Celine noticed that he got all antsy, then I think she'd look at him and go, Oh, what's got your britches all up in a bunch, honey? He stands up. He says, uh, uh, it is no worry. We must go. We must go now. Where are you going to go in this weather? Didn't you see that goblin guy get thrown across the bar by the door? <laughs> Max rubs his head. <laughs> Doran laughs. <laughs> I mean, it did sound like they had one more bingo slot to fill, so maybe you should try. He uh, he ignores you completely. He starts trying to push past you. The others stand up, and they, they look very concerned. They start um, trying to push themselves kind of out and, and to make more space so that they can get towards the door. Max will uh, ready, not pull out, but just kind of put a hand on the hand crossbow. Yeah, and Selene is going to reach out with her tail and uh, try to wrap his wrist as he stands up. Uh, Ledger, uh, Doran, do you guys, uh, Kath, do you want to ready any actions? I'll just put, I'll just put my hand on my longsword. Ledger is going to grab that silver rod. Something new, but uh, one of the abilities for his class uh, for with graviturgy is he can adjust the density of an object and so he is preparing if they lunge for the door to double its weight Ooh, that's so cool that is really cool or actually I wonder if in this case I might want to half its weight so that it really blows them <laughs> back flies. in oh. uh, but um, <laughs> yeah he's going to look to adjust the density of the door to make it 
an even heavier object, and um, he does not want them to leave. How far are, is our table from the door? You're actually in the back corner. Mm, okay. Um, so you're as far away from the door as you could be in this bar. And this whole situation is starting to greatly agitate Ledger. This unnatural storm, the way that his, the physical reaction he's having to it, being in this enclosed space, these these people who are obviously hiding something, being in this horrible, you know, backwater of a place, um, and he's about to lose his temper if um, if things continue this way. So one of them, uh, as they're all trying to, they're standing up and like scrambling around to get out of there, one of them turns around and he picks up a crate um, that is slightly larger than he can get his arms around. So... Uh, he, as he turns around, you can see that uh, like a, a pale lavender glow is emanating from uh, between the boards of the crate. Um, and uh, uh, when they see this, when they see that the, the glow is, is uh, emanating out from there, um, the first one says, it is already too late. All right, Selena's gonna stand up and kind of kick her chair in front of the one that she grabbed with her tail. Now, 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 there's no need to get riled up here. What you got in that crate, baby? I love that you call him baby. <laughs> so good. I was gonna go with sugar, but I don't know. Sugar is sugar would have been good too. Uh, while this is happening, Doran's gonna just turn around a little bit, and he's gonna cast Minor Illusion, which is only. Um, somatic and material components no verbal components and he's going to make the storm have a deep rumbling ominous sound as they're trying to leave make it sound way worse roll an intimidation with disadvantage one Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back yes <laughs> unnatural one of course okay so you you do that you you make it sound like a, a dull roar, but it seems that it has no effect on these guys whatsoever. They whatever has them scared has them really scared. Uh, so much to the point, Talia, in trying to talk to this one, mentioned that she had put a chair in front of him. He doesn't even notice. He just keeps trying to go and goes over the chair, stumbling to the ground and and starts scrambling forward. And this combined with the already, like everyone being already kind of on their nerves in this tavern um, sort of sets off like a chain reaction of terror. And people are kind of running around and they're screaming and the the panic is hitting this, um, you know, critical level <clears throat> where people are starting to eye the door and think about that maybe they would have a better chance out there than they do in here. Um, is the the guy that was next to me with the patch over his eye, is he the one that tripped over the chair and is on the ground, or is that a different guy? That's a different guy. Um, the guy that uh, had the patch over his eye and was next to you um, is actually staring at the crate um, and backing up and, and, like, trembling. Can I just put my hand on his shoulder and turn to him and just make, like, direct, serious eye contact with him and say, we can help you if you can tell us what's going on? He starts shaking his head, and he says, It's too late. We had to get it to Isocross, but it's too late. We don't have time. Well, not with that attitude. Ledger 
has reached the point of impatience now. So what he's going to do is cast Earth Tremor. So that hits like a 10-foot sort of area and basically creates like a mini earthquake. So it makes anyone standing there, which I'm going to try to hit all of them, especially the one with the crate, will have to deck save. If they fail save, they take 1d6 bludgeoning and they're knocked prone. And then since this floor is like stone and straw, it's going to become difficult terrain until cleared. That means me and Keth too. Yeah, you know, you got a wizard. Yeah, collateral <laughs> damage is yeah, it's part of part of the deal. Probably Doran. <laughs> okay, I'm going to roll... You said dex? Yes, it is a dex save. The spell DC is 14. Well, I got a 13, so... The main thing is I'm trying to knock them prone to get them on the ground and maybe get this person to drop the crate. Okay, Sam, so roll your damage real quick. You just want me to do it? Okay. Three. Okay, so three damage. Two of the folks that you're after took three damage and are knocked prone, including the one that was holding the um, crate. Does he drop the crate? He does. And when the crate hits the ground, it bursts open, um, revealing um, an iron box wrapped in silver chains, uh, roughly the size of whatever the wild mount equivalent of a basketball would be. Matt didn't include a section on sporting events in Wild Mount, which I thought was... I was just trying to make a joke about it, because I think they made a joke about a sport in the episode I listened to last night, but I missed it. Oh, did they really? (laughs) (laughs) That would have really proved me a super fan if I could have hit that. Yeah, he's like, (laughs) blam, right here with it. But you know what? He didn't include it in the book, which is fine. Like, everyone's allowed their, their lazy days. That's okay. (laughs) Calling Matt Mercer lazy Next level Mm -hmm. (laughs) How dare So the floor of this place is also All messed up In this area I'm sure that there's furniture that's strewn And if there was a sense of panic In the building I imagine that this would would amplify it It's it's sort of leveled it up to the next The next gear right Um, People are screaming They're pushing towards the doors now uh, and um, the light emanating from the iron box has amplified. It's actually, uh, you know, glowing through the seams, this brilliant purple, dark purple light now. And just as the crowd gets to the door, it bursts open, showering uh, everyone inside with wooden splinters and uh, folks that were close enough to be affected by it. Um, and lumbering in, is this massive shape with uh, like a, a purple belly, green skin, and the face of a dog? Lump, lumbering in in what? How do you mean? Like in the door of the bar? Through where the door was for the bar. The interior of the bar has been also uh, exposed to the ravages of the storm outside. So, uh, wind is whipping. It's overturning tables. Um, some of the patrons that were, you know, not uh, so good on their feet are uh, dragged across the floor by it. The the pelting rain uh, for the folks close enough to the door that it uh, reaches in um, is, you know, peppering them with these icy uh, raindrops and, and hail. And this figure uh, sort of takes up like the entire doorway, uh, this hunched over kind of... 
massive form. And so you say the box burst open? The crate burst open, the box did not, but the light is emanating out through the corners of the box. Well, Dorn's going to do his best to grab that thing as soon as possible. Is the vibe we're getting that the creature that burst in the door was like, was like drawn by the box? You could roll an insight check. I would like to do that. So I will. Oh, that's only an 11. You can't really tell. Like, obviously, there's some sort of connection here between the people, the box, and the creature. Um, because as soon as the, the creature bursts in, the folks that were at the table around you sort of quail. They start screeching and, and backing away from it, trying to, uh, you know, claw their way through the back wall of the building to get away. Okay, maybe this would be a good time for me to cast Manifest Echo. Ooh, and what does Manifest Echo do? So I can use a bonus action to magically manifest an echo of myself in an unoccupied space I can see within 15 feet. So it's basically like a semi-transparent, smoky version of myself. That is super cool. That's cool, yeah. Actually, you can do that, but first everyone is going to have to roll... Initiative? (laughs) Initiative. Yes, initiative. Initiative? In this tavern? (laughs) (laughs) Natty Twans. Is that our fourth natural 20 of the game? I think fifth. Nice. Ledger is a five on initiative. Celine? Celine is a seven. Doran, uh, what is your total? Uh, 20. Okay. Ginny? 10. And Max? 21 total. Nice. So, Max, you go first. You get to act first with this massive monster bursting through the door. And actually, you know what I'm going to do? You you had readied your hand crossbow, um, so you can make an extra an extra action, uh, like a su- like a surprise yep. attack. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing that Max is going to do is Max is going to stand up on his bar stool and shout at the our new group and say, "You guys put them in the corner and make sure that no- nothing gets to that box." And he's going to take two shots with his hand crossbow at the monster that just came in. Uh, Okay, go ahead and roll your attacks uh, and uh, make them with disadvantage. With disadvantage. Okay. Yes. Uh, All right, my first roll. That is a uh, seven plus six, so a 13 to hit on the first one. Miss. Ooh. And then double 18, so uh, 24 to hit on the second. That's a hit. Yep. Okay. Because it's a surprise round, do I get sneak attack damage? Yeah, I'll give you sneak attack damage. 86. All right. So that's uh, 15 total damage. And then Max is going to go from barstool to tabletop to tabletop to try to get between the group and the monster. Awesome. Just kind of in the middle of the room. Um, Doran, your turn. And correct me if I'm wrong, you had a couple levels in wizard, didn't you? Yes. Roll an arcane check for me. 17. Okay, so you are you know what this thing is. You know that this is an Aeorian hunter. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, you be the judge. And uh, this is basically a construct. It's something that was um, created by the mages of Aeor long ago in the age of Arcanum. <clears throat> These monsters were created to take on angels, demons, devils, and fae. They were like god hunters. Uh, that the Aeor created. Bad thing. Uh, yeah, these are these are formidable foes. Okay, so Doran was knocked prone by the earthquake, but I believe that would mean that he's pretty close to the box? Yeah. 
So he's going to crawl over to the box, grab it, and cast invisibility on himself. Okay. And then with the rest of his movement, he's going to stand up and get into the opposite corner of the room. Okay. I thought I thought maybe it was going to be an eye-eating monster, and that's why those guys were so scared. <laughs> no more eyes. Don't take them. They should have been less scared, right? Right. They should have been less scared because they're like l- at lower risk. Yeah. Nothing to lose. They do have a lot of uniqueness to their eyes, though, so it could be like a collector thing. Well, I would have figured it's the same one that got him in the first place. Mm, back to get the other eye. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's actually the turns of the folks... Uh, that you were at the table with. Um, And I've created a little table um, to help me figure out how they react in their terror. Uh, So we're going to find out what they all do first, and then we'll have them take their turns. Okay, so the German guy that was doing all the talking, um, he draws a a short, uh, mean-looking sword, uh, and he looks terrified, but he looks like he's going to try to fight. Um, One of the other guys uh, who hadn't said anything or really done anything Um, He just takes off running as fast as he can. Uh, And he's running towards the opening, uh, which is where the Aeorian Reverser still is, but he's just overcome with his terror. Another one um, kind of runs in towards the back of the room again and is just desperately looking for a way out. The one that was sitting next to Talia that uh, she had her hand, her tail wrapped around and he stood up, um, he draws a weapon too. Another short, mean-looking blade. Two more also take off running in terror, uh, and one more just sort of sits where he is, kind of staring at the monster uh, in sort of, like, abject fear. So I'm going to make an attack real quick for the two that are attacking. Uh, So one of them lands an attack with his uh, short, mean-looking blade, and he deals five damage. Uh, The other one misses terribly. Um, The two that try to run past it, the monster uh, is going to make attacks of opportunity against them. So on the first one, it hits with two of its attacks. So um, the first thing it does is with its... I mentioned that it has the head of a dog. And when I say that, I mean it looks like a dog, but like if a mastiff took steroids and then went rabid. Like just a giant, mean-looking mug. Uh, it, it rips down with its teeth and uh, gets the first guy like right around the neck, ripping out a big chunk of shoulder flesh. Jesus, that's so loud. And dealing 17 points of damage. Yikes. Those are some chompers. Um, and then it rips into him with one of its massive claws uh, kind of coming up um, across his torso and dealing six damage uh, and just laying him out. He's he's laying on the, the floor of the bar, um, kind of bleeding into the, the uh, paver stones. The second guy to run past gets critically hit by the bite. Oh, no. And it, I mean, just with that single attack is ripped in half. <laughs> um, do- doesn't, you know, doesn't have a chance because that is just so much damage. I can roll criticals too, you guys. (laughs) Oops. Let's see. That's all them. And then it is Keth's turn. Okay. So how far am I from the monster? Um, You are conveniently 15 feet away from the monster. Okay, great. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come up to it. And then, so I'm going to use my movement first to get close to it. Then I'm going to cast, or I don't know if it's a cat, it's a feature. I'm going to use Manifest Echo. 
So I'm going to create my echo um, basically opposite of me. So like on the other side of it. Flanking it with yourself. I love it. So that it's me and my shadow self just like on either side. Yeah. Uh, And then I want to try and hit it with my longsword. Great. Roll your attack. All right. So, um, that is, oh, that's a natural 20. Easy game. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so that's a D8 and then I double my dice. So so that's a a six and an eight. And then is a longsword a strength? God, I don't have this down. Longsword is a strength weapon, right? Yes. Okay. So that then is 18 points of damage. Nice. Crikey. And then also, I can heighten my Echo's Fury by whenever I take an attack action, I can make an additional melee attack from the Echo's position. Oh, nice. I can only do it once per long rest, but I kind of want to do it now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's a number of times equal to your constitution modifier. So actually, I can do that three times per long rest. Just FYI, this is one out of three. Great. Okay, so then my Echo's going to attack two, um, and that's going to be a... A 14 to hit. Miss. Balls. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That concludes my turn. Great. Uh, Celine, your turn. Um, Well, Celine got rocked pretty hard, so I think she's probably getting up off the ground at this point. Um, But she's going to keep the eye on the prize. She's not going to go for the monster right away. She's actually going to keep trying to... um, heard the guys that are trying to to move towards the monster if she can so um, I think it was the one that first tried to attack maybe is that the closest one to her um, actually the closest to you would be one of the guys that um, is running away okay is trying to run away um, she's gonna shove him and just try to knock him down slow him down okay oh well I, I didn't shove him. I'm still not quite on my footing yet. <laughs> oh, did you roll real low? So she, she stumbles. Uh, yeah, I rolled a two, so... Okay, yeah. No, uh, ineffective. Celine stumbles. He felt like you were giving him an encouraging pat on the back. Right. You can do it, buddy. You got it, buddy. That's my turn. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ledger, you're up. So Ledger's going to let out just a bellowing primal scream any people that are within 10 feet of him are going to feel the air around him sort of electrify and so the you know anyone with long hair it'll stand on end uh, as he sort of you know summons his his primal power as, as part of him raging I have a question for Ginny which is um can that echo take damage or how does that work? Yeah, so the echo has, um, I think it has only one hit point. So it, but it's okay. I can always manifest it again if you hit it. So, okay. It has an AC, but it has one hit point. Cause I have, I have a dunamancy spell that has area of effect, which if I cast it like outside, I'm assuming, so it does like a 10 foot radius that I would be able to hit a place outside is where I would target that would hit this construct and probably the um, the echo, but nobody else. Yeah, do what's in your heart. We're not friends either, so... I mean, our characters, so, like, 
I'm not super concerned about it. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) We're not friends. (laughs) But, uh, Fletch, is there a spot that I could hit that, like, within a ten-foot range where the only thing that would be caught is the echo or maybe one of the people from the table? Uh, yes. Perfect. So Ledger is going to... Yeah, he's furious, uh, but he's also focused in that rage. Uh, Grab the... um, that silver rod that he has, and he's going to cast Magnify Gravity, which is a first-level transmutation that um, the gravity in a 10-foot radius sphere centered on a point you can see within range increases for a moment. Each creature in the sphere on the turn when you cast a spell must make a constitution saving throw. On a failed save, a creature takes 2d8 force damage, and its speed is halved until the end of its next turn. On a successful save, a creature takes half as much damage and suffers no reduction to its speed. Until the start of your next turn, any object that isn't being worn or carried in the sphere requires a successful strength check against your spell save DC to pick up or move. So he's basically creating a point that is now where where gravity is happening, which is going to be a spot he can see outside the building, which would hit the creature and and the echo. So that construct will need to uh, do a constitution saving throw. Um, the construct will as well as um, one of the uh, table uh, people fighting it. Yeah, they might not make it. Um, the creature got a 12. Uh, so that would be a fail because my spell DC is 14. Great. And um, the, the table mate got a 7. No. Oh. It's okay. We said dead or alive. Does he turn to goo? <laughs> <laughs> tell me how much. Tell me how much damage it does, and then we'll determine the gooiness. Nine force damage to the construct, and six to the traveler. Um, the traveler uh, takes it, but he looks real upset about it. Probably also not used to just gravity changing around him. Probably not. Suddenly pulling him in another direction. Um, and now it's the monster's turn. Did it hit the my echo? Or should I roll for that or no? No, it didn't hit the echo. Okay, great. Keth, the monster is going to make an attack against you. It can sure try. So it misses. It, it comes in at your face with that gnarly bite. And just just before it gets to your uh, face, snaps its jaws, you're able to dodge just out of the way of those uh, really awful teeth. Bad dog. Um, and then it takes a swipe at you with its claws. 19 against AC. Oh, that hits. So that deals 11 damage. And then it claws at you one more time uh, with its opposite arm. So loud. It hits you again for six damage. Okay. And now we're back up to the top of the key with Max. All right. Uh, Max is going to... Let's see. So the monster is engaged with Keth. I'm going to slide up alongside it. And I'm going to make one attack with my rapier. And then using my crossbow expert... I'm going to make a second attack with my uh, uh, bonus action to attack with the hand crossbow. Mm-mm-mm. All right. So my rapier attack is a, let's see, that is an 18 plus six. So 24 to hit with the rapier. Yeah, that'll hit. And do I get I get sneak attack because it's all it's uh, already engaged? Oh yeah, it's it's wrapped up in a bunch of other folks. Twenty two for the rapier. 
So that's uh, 14 plus so, so 20 to hit with the crossbow. That'll hit. And a mere six damage for the crossbow. Um, how, remind me, how much did the rapier do? 22 plus six, so 28 total. So much damage. Uh, Doran, your turn. So yeah, Doran is going to get further into the corner. He's going to sit in a chair, and then he's going to do an arcana check, probably. Yeah, an arcana check on the box. I like it. Go ahead and roll your arcana check. Natural 20. So 23. Whoa! <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I'm going to make you guys start recording filming these. <laughs> little camera, dice cam. Yeah, a little dice cam. I feel like I need a little dice cam. Okay, so a bunch of things. A bunch of little things, I think. The first thing you're going to notice is that there's a slight tug on the box. Nothing nothing that you have to like strength check against or even really fight that hard against, but you feel like if the box was on an exceptionally smooth surface, it would be pulling you um, it, or it would be moving itself northwest from where you are now. The purple light, the light that's emanating out of it, you can't, you haven't seen anything specifically like this before, um, but you do know that uh, it's slightly reminiscent of some of the things you've read about as far as um, the Aeor magic, the, the age of magic that the, uh, when Aeoria was flying around and, and doing its stuff. So it's, somehow associated with that, although specifically you don't know what it is. You do know that the combination of the iron and the silver uh, is reserved for things of, you know, really considerable power um, and wouldn't be employed if it were something weak or slapdash. Beyond that, you can't really tell much because you can't get into the box itself. The chains are uh, locked and keeping you out, and the, even though there's gaps enough for the light to be sort of emanating out of it, uh, there aren't uh, gaps large enough for you to see in and see what's in there uh, putting the light off. Cool. Well, fair, fair enough. Uh, Dorn may be a gnome, but he was not trying to open the dangerous magical box yet. <laughs> 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 so it's, it's, it looks like it's a really powerful magical artifact of some kind, basically. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to get across. That's what I'm putting down. Super powerful magical. Doesn't seem like the kind of thing you should give your evil masters in the Underdark. I mean, you said it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds exactly like the kind of thing you bring right. to your evil masters in the Underdark. Nah, man, I quit. <laughs> well, that's this whole turn. It takes an action to do a Arcana check, so. Doran is done having sat in a chair and looked at a thing, so it is now... <laughs> Dynamic combat. <laughs> when, when you put yeah. it that way. It is now uh, Jenny's turn. Okay, first of all, I realized that as of fifth level, I'm supposed to get two attacks per turn, so I'm going to hit it more times this time. Okay. Nice. Um, there. So just just real quick, there were a bunch of guys who ran from the table. Did any of them make it out the door? No, both of them were murdered. Uh, okay, great. Very convenient. That's ideal. That's exactly what I wanted. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to make sure they weren't going anywhere. Oh, so many good quotes from this episode. <laughs> <laughs> what a heroic adventuring party we've put together. Right. <laughs> I know, Heroes. we're so good. <laughs> Listen, I'm doing my job. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, I am, yeah, Kath is going to attempt to hit the dog thing that hit her two times, I guess. She's going to use her longsword two-handed, because there's really no reason not to, and that's more damage. And I'm just learning all kinds of things right now about this character. 
Oh, that's a natural one, so that doesn't hit. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> there must be balance. The dice give and the dice take away. It's a heavy longsword. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, second attack. We're looking at a 22 to hit. That will hit, yes. Great. So that is a D10, because two hands... Oh, that's a two. So, two plus strength, so that's uh, six points of damage. Great. And that's, uh... Yep, I think that's good. That's it for me. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. That's Ginny. Now it's the the man's, the table man's turn. And two of them are dead. Table man. So, uh, I'm gonna see what they do this time. These guys make me think of XCOM. They just run around and do random stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking, too. They're like the NPCs in XCOM. You guys finish your own sandwiches. <laughs> finish each other's sandwiches. So, the German, the, the guy who was talking, he makes another attack. Misses, whiffs it real bad. One of the guys who is running around like a crazy person in back is gonna make a run for it. Uh, so our uh, reverser is going to get an attack of opportunity against him and whiffs it. So the bite misses and he manages to get out into the storm. Did he pass through like my attack of opportunity range or my echoes? I suppose he would have passed through both. So you can make an attack of opportunity if you want. I would like to do that. Okay. <laughs> uh, my assignment is dead or alive. So yeah. Um, okay, that's a uh, that's only a 12 to hit. That hits. Oh, great. Okay, so then that's uh, six okay. a damage. He's still up, but wounded. Uh, and can your echo make an attack of opportunity? Yes, but only it's like I can do mine from me or from the echo. So Got it. Okay. So he manages to get past, although he is wounded now, presumably leaving a trail if the weather uh, allows you to follow it. And then um, one of them continues to just sort of sit and cry. And another one is inspired to make an attack against the reverser. He misses. So that's them. Now, Celine. Mm. It is Celine's turn. Well, Celine has done so much in this fight so far. Uh, uh, she's going to stand up again, hopefully gain her bearings a little bit better than the last time. Um, and she's going to try to shoot Ray of Frost at the beast. Um, but it's a 60-foot range, so she's going to try to aim it so that it is just direct at the beast and hopefully doesn't... I don't know. Can she direct it so it's not going to bounce off anybody else. Yeah, I'm 99% sure Ray of Frost is like a single target thing and doesn't have a cone. So you're fine. Yeah. It is a beam. Yeah. I just want to make sure directionally. And that's a nat 20. I'm not lying. I promise. (laughs) That's a plus four. So it's a 24 to hit. (laughs) I I believe you, I guess. (laughs) He runs downstairs to look. This is the ge- yeah, <laughs> just my feet pounding away. Yeah, and then coming back. This is a game of twenties in twenty twenty. In twenty twenty, year of the double crit. Year of the and we've got I think six or seven now that have happened. So my normal damage is two d eight, and then what do I do with it? So you're gonna roll four d eight. 
So 13. And does the ray of frost do anything mechanically? Um, yes. It's a frigid beam of blue-white streaks that will cause cold damage, and it'll reduce his speed by 10 feet until his next turn. Alrighty. Ledger, your turn. Ledger's going to close the distance and run up and um, try to hit it with the um, the rod that he's been using for spell casting. So he's essentially going to try to club it, and it's going to be a reckless attack, so he'll have advantage on the roll. Okay. I love a good reckless attack. 25? Does that hit? Yeah, I guess. Okay, cool. <laughs> His weapon isn't super awesome, but he'll do something. Uh, he's going to do eight bludgeoning. I love it. Just a metal club. Yeah. Oh, and he is going to use his Storm Aura. So it's a deck save for the monster uh, with a DC 13. Okay. Uh, don't bother. They're going to take one either way. I rolled a one. So just a little zap will come out <laughs> from Ledger's offhand and just give it a little bit of a zip. Just a little, just a little tickle. Just a little, just a little something. Yeah, like, just a little something. Like you ran a co- across a shag carpet to get to him. <laughs> and then you yeah. clubbed him and then just a little bit of a static like zip. And then now that Ledger's, you know, even more out in the rain, he kind of wipes a little bit of his, his eyeliner away. It's really... <laughs> just, and then his turn's over. It's just oh destroying his eyeliner. Yeah. Welcome to the Black Parade. <laughs> um, okay, Monster's turn. He's going to spread out. He's going to try to spread out the damage a little bit this time. So he's going to uh, make a bite attack against Ledger. Come back here, you coward. <laughs> oh, taunting. Uh, since I did a reckless attack, I, I think that um, that they get advantage on that. Yes. Oh, no. Well, it, I mean, it doesn't matter. He hits you. Gnashing fangs uh, uh, reach down. Uh, they grip you by the arm. Um, and with a shake, uh, he deals, let's see, 13 points of damage, uh, piercing damage. And then he also deals five points of force damage. Got it. And then he makes a, a claw attack. Against Ginny, since she was asking for it. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta keep my mouth shut. Welcome back. (laughs) 17 against AC? Yeah, that hits. Yeah, so his ripping claws uh, deal another 8 damage to you. And then he makes another claw attack against um, that uh, guy with the terrible German accent. That's right, he can't see me. I'm too short. Well, you bounced out. No, no, I didn't. I was not. I was not able to because I had already used my bonus. My my bonus action. Oh. So I am still there, Jason. Just let Hans Gruber take the hit. It's fine. <laughs> Jeez. Um, yeah, Hans Gruber takes six more, and he goes down too. Uh, uh, I, I'm imagining uh, bad action movie style where the attack happens and then he spins around and he's already got the makeup for the claw attacks on his face, <laughs> and he goes down. And I think I would throw in. The scream here, Jason. And um, with that, we're back up at the top of the queue with Max. Okay, since it worked so well the last time, I'm going to do the same thing this time. I'm going to uh, rapier and then bonus action crossbow. Okay. So with the rapier, that is a 15 to hit. Uh, hit. All right. Eight plus three. So that's six plus three. So that's nine. And then sneak attack damage. 
14 plus 9, so 23 off the rapier. And then uh, I I wildly miss with my crossbow. I rolled a three. Yeah, he's looking bad now. He's looking like this might have been a mistake. Big rents in his flesh where the rapier and longsword have hit. Uh, freezer burn across his face where Celine's ray of frost blasted him right in the eyes. I will. Uh, I'll tack on. I'll tack on the uh, fury of the small. So that's an extra six damage. Fury of the small. Yeah, it's a goblin feature. I don't get to use it much in the regular game. That's it. He goes down. Yeah! Woo! Take that, you you big thing! <laughs> he had six hit points left. Ugh. Uh, uh, uh. Um, all right, so the giant monster with a lumbering sort of like when a, when a, a big thing like that is dead and it doesn't know it, it takes one more step <laughs> and then another and then it slowly sinks onto the rain-soaked cobbles of the tavern. People are still screaming. They're running out into the storm. The rain is is blowing in. It's not it's not falling in. The wind is just whipping it in through the the hole in the wall. Everyone that has been fighting it uh, is just standing there, sort of shell shocked. And, and looking around uh, at each other. It looks like the, the folks from the table are trying to figure out what your next move is. How many folks from the table are left alive and in the building? Three. And then one of them escaped into the snow, and then the other two are dead? Uh, three are dead. One escaped, and three more are in the building still. Was Do I know if the one that escaped had an eye patch on? He did have a, an eye patch. Yeah, damn it. But he was wounded. So Ledger is going to tell Hector to fly, assuming that the storm is at least mild enough where he can fly to try to follow. Hector says no. (laughs) (laughs) That is some stuff he would say to me. Does it seem, does the storm seem violent enough that like a six foot something like 250 pound half orc would not be able to go out in it safely? Like, would I be blown away? You wouldn't be blown away, but you you are thinking that that would not be a great idea. Okay. You may be overestimating my intelligence. Yes. But I <laughs> <laughs> no, this is like lizard part of the brain. This is like, don't do that. No, no leave building. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the, the box, is the box still looking threateningly glowy? You don't see the box. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm sorry. No box. Are we out of combat? Yes, you are out of combat, although the folks from the table are looking at you side-eyed. Max is going to uh, attempt to close the door. There's no door left. Oh, there's no door left. (laughs) Ah, man. (laughs) Can I, like, pick up a table and try to put the table over the door? Yeah. I love it. Great. I do that. Yeah, you're able to position a table up against it and sort of brace it against the wall to keep the worst of the storm out. You can still hear it raging, but as you do that and as the fury of the storm inside the tavern abates, um, people pick themselves up from behind tables and the bartender, bartender stands up from behind the bar and that roar kind of quiets a little bit and, and people can hear themselves talk again and they look down at this you know, fearsome beast laying slain on the floor and, and back and forth at you. Ledger's still trying to 
figure out how to deal with the people from the table that are still there. So he's still in a rage and not quite himself, and he is just going to, to scream at them. What is that thing that you brought here and try to intimidate? Also, while, you know, he basically has like a miniature electric storm around him, even inside. We get it, Sam. You can have advantage on the intimidation roll. <laughs> and I needed it. So it says 17. Okay, so one of the guys stands up. <clears throat> this is a guy with um, one blue eye and an eye patch with a burn kind of peeking out from under the eye patch. Um, he's looking around too. He's like looking for the box, uh, but he doesn't see it. Eye on me, buddy. Uh, he he. <laughs> I just want to make an eye on me joke. Yeah. <laughs> it took a second to sink in. I got it. So he says, "Whatever is in that box, it was discovered deep in the underdark. We were hired to steal it and bring it to Isocross." But the entire time, these monsters, they attack. We thought that if we could make it to the ocean, we would be safe. But it was too late. So they did all get attacked by an eye-eating monster. Yeah, more or less, I guess. Actually, you notice that the the glow emanating from the box is starting to flicker a little bit. No one else, no one else notices that it's flickering, but Brad notices it because... He can see the invisible glow. Yeah. Can can I just like bend down real quick to the 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 Zemnian accent guy who died near me and just flip up his eye patch and just see if there's an eye under it? Gaping socket. Great. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> she looks under there and goes, Dibs, this one's mine. Max does not have the intelligence of uh, my Waterdeep counterpart, but um, he's going to, you know... After years of sending mercenaries out on different different jobs and things like that, Max is going to look around and say, um, I wonder if we were all sent here to look for a specific person, not for the person, but for what they were carrying. That may be true, but I generally get paid based on the letter of the law, not the spirit, so... That's, that's fair. I mean, I'm not super in the mood to fight you guys over this weird glowy box. And where did our gnome go? And then Max is going to look around specifically trying to find Doran. As you're kind of looking around for Doran, you notice that the uh, the monster, so recently slain, um, is starting to uh, infinity war just a little bit. Like, around his shoulders and head the the flesh is starting to flake away and kind of become this dust that flows in the eddies of the room and as more and more collects and the form of the beast uh, dissolves away the, the eddies of dust kind of flow uh, to an empty chair um, sitting at a table uh, and Brad, you're able to see the dust actually float through the seams of the box where the flickering lavender light flares uh, as more and more is fed into it. And then as the beast is entirely consumed, uh, the light goes out and the box remains calm. All right, so here's what Dorn's going to do. And they all know where he is now, obviously. <laughs> He's going to leap up on top of the table He's going to hold the box. You can't see this. He's going to hold the box up. 
he's gonna say, all right, listen up. This is a powerful magical artifact, and I need to know that you're not gonna give it to anybody who's not gonna do something good with it. We have to do something about this thing. Who's in? Can we see you? How easily can Doran carry this box? Does it look like it's a struggle for him? Well, you can't see him. He's still invisible, so it is a disembodied voice. Okay. Calling out to the room with this, uh, you know, moral call to action. The uh, the box itself um, is sort of at the upper limit of what Doran is capable of handling effectively. Or easily, I should say. Oh, it's that big. So it'd be a shame if it weighed double what it normally might weigh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that that sure would be a shame. Boy, if you could see it to target it, that would be a problem. Some yeah, of these if, things if, you can't do if um if someone's holding them and I'm not sure whether that one is or not, but you know I'm looking it up right now. Uh, the mental image is of the box hitting the table and like from invisibility, Raspberry Jam shoots out across the tavern. <laughs> well, as a goblin of ill repute and whatever, here's my suggestion. Kath and Celine, you guys are both contracted to bring back a person, right? Yes. You betcha. So, we have people that fit your description that you could take back. Each of you could grab one of these fine Zemnian gentlemen and take them with you, right? Yeah, I, I haul up on the collar of the guy next to me and just sort of like heave his body over my shoulder. Celine walks around to find the one that has the milky eye first and then says, well, I'm probably not going to take the whole thing. I think I'm just going to take his head. <laughs> How practical. Max nods. Work smarter, not harder. <laughs> exactly. Um, Max will turn to Ledger and say, and you are here just to deliver notice of debt collection? Oh, it's of absolutely no concern why I'm here. Right. I just want to make sure that we can all do our jobs. Do I think that this person in front of me with a blue eye and one hidden eye is the person who I'm there for? Well, one of the one of the guys on the floor, uh, ripped in half by the monster, has two beautiful blue eyes. Oh, honey, I don't think he's getting that message today. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably pretty good then. <laughs> <laughs> then Max will, Max will turn to Doran and say, I am absolutely willing to accompany you to figure out what to do with that. As he turns to the empty table where invisible Doran voice came from. Just just you? Anybody? Any other takers? I mean, as long as we can make a pit stop so I can turn this in, I'd be fine going with you. What about you, Kath? Um, yeah. I mean, I guess. Ledger, you want in on this? Sure. How much money do you think we're gonna get? Oh. A lot. <laughs> Max's uh, goblin, innate goblin greediness is just tingling. His, his, <laughs> his goblin sense. Yeah. Listen, I just want to know, do we have to go to Isilcross because I get really seasick? Well, where we're going, we'll be attacked by monsters every step of the way. No, that's fine. I'm fine with that. We'll have to find out the secrets of the box. And... Yeah, that's cool. It'll take us across the world. But not across the water? <laughs> that's that's my question. But also across the water. <laughs> uh, 
very calm seas. As the storm buffets the outside of the... As the storm rages around us. (laughs) Very calm seas. (laughs) Whale watching. Actually, now that the monster has been consumed by the box, you hear the storm sort of wasting away outside. The the wind doesn't sound quite as hard. The the rain has slowed. Um, It's like a normal arctic storm at this point. Yeah, I guess that's fine, you know, confront your fears or whatever. I feel like this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. All right, so Doran will, Doran will set the box on the table, cancel invisibility, and jump off and go, all right, let's do it! And I sort of love the idea of ending it there. Like the the spaghetti westerns that so influenced the story. <laughs> like the, the, the immediate threat is done, and the adventurers ride off into the sunset towards the next one. I love it. Ginny, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, this was a fun game. Yeah, it was great. Oh, thank you for having me. It was an incredibly fun game. Uh, Why don't you real quick tell people where they can go to see more of your cosplay and and the other incredible stuff that you're doing. Sure, yeah. I'm I'm pretty much everywhere on the internet. You know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, all those kind of things. And you can find me on all those places under the name Ginny D. If you just search for me, it's D. It's Ginny like Ginny Weasley, G-I-N-N-Y, and then D like D-I, like Princess Di, but not pronounced like Di, because then it's Ginny Di, which sounds really aggressive. <laughs> Too aggressive. That's smart Something marketing. Something I did not think about beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> and if anyone else is interested uh, in further adventures from Adventure They Wrote, uh, it's www.adventuretheywrote.com. And we have two full seasons ready to binge. So thank you very much for listening. Oh, hello there. It is Jason, your producer, here with the production credits for this very special episode of Adventure They Wrote, celebrating the release of The Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. This episode is part of the podcasts of Wildmount, expressly produced for Wizards of the Coast. Your cast has been Fletcher Helly as our DM, Talia Armado Helly as Celine, Brad Berthume as Doran, Sam Heckman as Ledger, Jason Burrows, that's me, as Max, and our guest star Ginny D as Keth. The book, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, is out on Tuesday, March 17th at your friendly local game store, so go check that out and create your own adventures on this fantastic continent. I would like to say a huge thank you to Wizards of the Coast, specifically Pelham Green and Greg Tito for allowing us to work on this project. Thanks to Jen Vaughn and Celeste Conowich for helping put this project together. And our massive gratitude to Matt Mercer and the entire team at Critical Role for all of the wonderful storytelling that they do every week. You guys are an inspiration and I'm glad we got to play in the world that you've created. Once again, you can find us anywhere that you get your podcast. Just search for Adventure They Wrote. This episode will be on our feed soon, and the premiere of Season 3, Cold Case, is mere days away. So until next time, I'm Jason, a.k.a. Max the Goblin Detective, saying stay tuned for more mystery, and is it Thursday yet? Okay, well, you may be overestimating my intelligence, yeah. but I appreciate it. <laughs> now, this is like lizard part of the brain. This is like, don't do that. No, no leave building. Yeah. Okay. This is Togo turning toward town and not toward the caribou. I, I feel like I'm the only person who has watched Togo on Disney+. Plus. This podcast not yet sponsored by Disney+. Plus. You know we all just watched The Mandalorian and then turned it off. <laughs> I, I still don't know what this Mandalorian thing is you guys are talking about. That doesn't, How dare you? It's not ringing a bell with me. <laughs> isn't, like, isn't it Boba Fett? He's a Mandalorian, right? Oh, from that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that Starfight movie. Yeah, that Starfight movie. Yeah, Starfight. <laughs>